This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the host of today's show, Ramya Amuthan. Well, we're starting off the entire week together here on Kelly and Company, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, two hours of just fun and fantastic. And you know, on Mondays, the word important comes to mind, important conversations. Um, A lot of our lineup tends to be a bit heavier on Mondays because uh, why not just get right into everything that is going on and things that we need to be aware of and start taking notes, really. Um, So lots and lots to get into today. Shall we start with a lineup of what's coming up on the show? Brock Richardson of The Neutral Zone is bringing up our weekly sports update. So much going on in the world of sports to get to know. Grant Hardy, our AMI reporter in Vancouver, is sharing details on tonight's AMI This Week feature. And this is a story from Vancouver on Violet Peterson, a partially cited artist. Bonterra has announced the unveiling of its new show-stopping floating art installation on Lake Ontario and its goal is to help improve biodiversity and create a diverse wildlife habitat for plants. That's very intriguing and we're going to learn more about the unique uh, installation later on in Hour 2 of Kelly and Company. So let's start a little closer to home with some news uh, and headlines A union representing Ontario education workers has set a strike vote but said they won't be in a position to walk off the job until October at the earliest. The Canadian Union of Public Employees, which represents 55,000 workers, including maintenance staff, librarians and early childhood educators, will open voting from September 23rd to October 2nd. And Laura Walton, the president of CUPE's Ontario School Board, Council of Unions says holding a strike vote doesn't necessarily mean that workers will withdraw services. They unanimously voted to endorse their bargaining committee's recommendation to call for a strike vote as a demonstration of workers' resolve to achieve our affordable and necessary proposals for improving working and learning conditions. So that's just a snippet of, um, I guess, what they're outlining. And it's kind of, you know, on the heels of uh, all type of other strikes and all types of things going on in Ontario. Um, what comes to mind, number one, is our healthcare workers, our frontline workers and in the medical side of things and how stressful the job is, how stressful it's becoming even more stressful as uh, people continue to battle with, you know, overworking, stress, mental health challenges, the compoundedness of everything that's going on, pandemic, etc. And just the how that feels like it's kind of a trickle effect. Now, obviously, we're not seeing from A to B, from everything that's going on in Ontario's healthcare system to everything that's going on in the Ontario education system. But you can tell that there are parallels to so many of our problems right now and overworking um, and underemployment. It just seems to be the theme of what we're hearing, right? So strikes in Ontario for the school boards are not new. That's definitely not something that we're, you know, 
just experiencing because of pandemic. But when you think about how much the government is offering um, in times like this, and then what people are asking for, because it's absolutely not doable. It's not a good bottom line, a good enough bottom line for um, what needs to be expected. And the, the, we're, we're talking like, what were the, um, the exact ones here, ECEs, early childhood educators, um, along with everybody else, you know, people in the custodian side and how, if we're thinking that this is affecting not just teachers, not just lunchroom staff and supervision, but really just everything, everybody who's involved with the ways that schools have to function, then this is a bigger problem than even what we're aware of, I'm sure. So right now we're starting with the the vote for the strike and then we'll see where things go from there. But um, at the moment, I think that we should be worried. We should be worried because, you know, <laughs> the the last thing we want is for schools to not be able to go forward. And this is, of course, starting of the school year. So um, there's a lot to have to be dealt with in order for this not to happen, for the strike not to happen. Um, oh, yeah, just wanted to mention here, I forgot to read the tag. CUP is looking for annual wage increases of 11.7%. This is what I was referring to. Uh, while the government has offered 2% a year for workers making less than 40000 and 1.25% for everyone else. So, again, just to reiterate, it's not enough. Moving on, young American Americans are experimenting with cannabis and hallucinogens at historic rates. A study from the National Institutes of Health says marijuana and hallucinogen use among young adults 19 to 30 years old reached an all-time high last year. That's compared to 5 to 10 years ago. Nicotine vaping rates have been gradually increasing over the past four years, except for a brief leveling off period in 2020. And in the past month, according to the study, vaping rates among young adults for marijuana use rebounded to pre-pandemic levels. Derek Dennis, ABC News. Thanks, Derek. So here's my response to this. I mean, I wonder if this is not good news, but technically something different than hearing that teenagers are vaping more or trying more drugs or experimenting more with marijuana. Um, it's kind of interesting, that tidbit about the age range, right? We're talking 19 to 30, young adults, and not necessarily um, under 19 years of age. So there's you know, quite a, a a part for people doing it, but not necessarily in college. So that's, you know, interesting, maybe concerning. And then the second part of it is, you know, what, what makes this, what's the catalyst behind all this? What makes it a thing? Now, we know that there's a lot more access uh, everywhere. You know, this study was specifically focusing on um, Americans, but we know there's a lot more access everywhere. We know in Canada, there uh, it's completely legalized to use marijuana. The uh, legal access to it is just, you know, right in front of your face, a click away. Um, and then also the ways we're hearing vaping um, a lot more. I thought that that might have died down a little more in the last couple of years, uh, but vaping is still a thing. It's still how people are getting to their marijuana, other hallucinogens. And just 
the idea of experimentation. You know, if we explore that a little bit, that is, I'm assuming, actively wanting to try um, and why that, again, linking back to the age range, why that's happening more and more in people's 20s than in their teenage years. Uh, it definitely seems to be a shift. I mean, we know that based on this study, and they're talking historic numbers and years of uh, following this kind of research. But, you know, are we doing it more because there's more access to it? Are we doing it more because it's more talked about? It's more normalized? Um, there's not as much taboo in in t- t- talking about the experimenting and the fact that it's out there already? Or are there other things that we're not necessarily looking into, like mental health, like why um, behind all this are people still turning to drugs so a lot of things to think about there we're going to take a break on kelly and company for now be back in a couple minutes talking a little more on waymo they've decide uh, designed new features to improve access for passengers in cars so we'll talk about that with michael babcock Welcome back to Kelly and Company, and thanks for listening to AMI-audio. If you want to get a hold of us, give us your commentary, feedback, and just uh, take part in the conversation, you can do that, one 509 4545 If you leave us a voicemail and you want us to play that message on air, please do give us permission, and we can uh, check you out. Feedback at AMI.ca is our email address, and on Twitter, you can find us with the handle at AMI-audio. I'm the host of today's show, Ramia Amudin, as Kelly McDonald takes an extra, extra long weekend. I love having the four-day long weekend, so I know he's enjoying himself. Let's get into our tech talk that we do on Mondays with Michael Babcock. It's time for Talking Tech with Michael, bringing you a shot of technology news to get your week going with sprinkles of assistive technology. Michael, do you uh, plan out you know, once in a while or every so often, especially in the summertime, these extra long weekends. I, I didn't know that was an option. I'm going to take some notes from Kelly. <laughs> you didn't know that was an option for Kelly and Company. Oh, no, that's a totally different thing. I'm just talking, you know, <laughs> aside from Kelly and Company. <laughs> so so I've been working for the same company for over a year now, uh, and I have some paid time off. And my wife told me the other day, she goes, you know, you're earning it. You should use it. So I, I need to I need to be more conscientious of that and, and mm-hmm. use it. But I do love the weekends that are, you know, or the holiday weekends that turn those into three day weekends. I have the problem where if I'm taking time off work, I'm guilty because I'll be thinking about what needs to get done at work and then not enjoying my. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. You know, you definitely need to take a page out of your wife's book and yeah. Um, yeah, just go, <laughs> what, what do they call it? Uh, not log off, sign off, just disconnect. Disconnect. Yeah. Yes, There's some yes. way that Jeff says it and it's just perfect. You totally need to do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but in the meantime, you're here to keep us posted on tech news and uh, things to keep in mind. So NVDA 22.3. Uh, no, 2022.3 is on the horizon. And we want to talk about what the team has shared with the readers uh, thus far. 
Yeah, so I have a weird alarm going off in my ear, so I, hopefully you're not hearing that. But the the first thing that NVDA 22.1 has going on for it is the fact that they have uh, created some characters, and now they are describing characters to individuals. And how they do this is you can turn it on in the settings, and what happens is it will give you phonetic feedback. So if you're arrowing through characters now, you can turn, again, turn the this on it's an optional feature uh it will say a alpha b bravo etc and give you those uh that feedback in addition nv access the nonprofit that's behind nvda has uh created a new mailing list for developers mm. so if you are a developer you might want to be aware of this uh and and i believe more information will be shared with developers uh as we go on the blog and when nvda 2022.3 is released. Love it. Okay, we'll keep posted on that. Google, moving on. Uh, Google Workspace has improved some things um, for accessibility as well. First of all, can you tell us what Google Workspace is and the improvements that we can expect? Certainly. So Google Workspace is Google's answer to Microsoft Office is how I explain it to people. It is the Google products, Google Gmail, Google Docs, Google Sheets, etc. that organizations can pay to be a part of. Or in summary, it's a paid version of the Google products. And the new feature that they have offered, and I'm glad that this is available because some people will need different functionality in different applications, is they have taken uh, all of the accessibility features and instead of you setting a Google Workspace wide, you can go in and set up your uh, accessibility needs for each of the products. So to activate it, you would go into Google Docs or Google Sheets or Google Slides and go to the tools and then accessibility and you can configure your accessibility features for each of those applications again separately this is set to roll out to uh organizations that have gradual release enabled on august 15th and august 29th for scheduled release domains which in summary means if you don't have it now give it about another week and you should have those features Nice. Um, really interesting that, you know, we have so many more options and preferences or can keep building our preferences this way uh, as access becomes more and more thought about and implemented. And- and also, I like the fact that it's not one size fits all. If you're blind, yep. you need a screen reader, for example, where some people just need some different color contrast options Absolutely. in specific apps. Absolutely. And, you know, the more I see that everywhere, you know, online platforms or um, things like this, like native accessibility stuff, uh, it just makes me very, very happy because I am that low vision person who mm-hmm. primarily use screen reader, but the the low vision access still very much helps. Now moving to Android 13, it's out. What accessibility improvements can be used there? So Android 13 was released last week for Pixel users, and a couple of the accessibility features include audio description, which I thought was already there, but apparently it was not. So now (laughs) you need to go to settings, accessibility, and then you can go and find the the audio description and uh, turn that switch on. Android 13 also is going to support Braille displays out of the box, so you don't have to go and get a third-party tool to 
access those. Note that this does not include HID, as was widely discussed in the past. You can now also adjust the size of text. And what some users, I think, would be very uh, handy, you can use two fingers to pinch in on specific sections of a screen and zoom in on that element, uh, which makes it easier to uh, see the contents of whatever part of the screen you want versus just streaming or zooming in on the entire screen. And then for individuals who are uh, deaf or hard of hearing, you have real-time text, RTT, which allows you to get a transcript of the phone call that you're on and allows you the ability to type uh, responses to the people you're on and use this text-to-speech to share that with individuals. So overall, pretty good update, and it's uh, free, supported on right now, Pixel 4s and greater, and of course, uh, some other Android devices will start getting Android 13 over the next couple of months. Very nice. Is RTT, uh, does it get a lot of love on iOS and in other places? That's a very good question. I haven't heard as much about RTT on iOS, but that's not to say that iOS didn't release it earlier and it had its fanfare and now those who use it are using it. Uh, So I'm not sure on that support. I'm curious about that too. I know that some people use third-party support, um, you know, Mm third-party apps and things like that to get the same, you know, essential service, but, um, or like service essentially, but the, yeah, the native support, I'm curious about that. Okay. We'll keep posted. Before, Mm -hmm. Before we move on to this next topic, one other thing that's not quite accessibility related, but it can be depending on your definition of accessibility is in the Android 13, uh, you can set different languages for different applications. So if you speak one Mm. language and you're communicating in one app, you can have that app be in the language that you speak and everything else be in a different language. So, Oh my God, I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Uh, Thanks for sharing that one too. Waymo is the next on the list. They've designed new features to improve access for passengers with accessibility needs. So what are some of these improvements? Okay, so one of the features that they have announced is they're going to display the rider's initials on the rooftop uh, dome, which is like a sign so they can see what their initials are. Uh, The display will show a a car ID, which is a two... A colored letter ID that's uh, configured in the app as well. Uh, so it'll give you a lot more visual representation. But another interesting feature that they have added is the ability to uh, ensure that individuals get in the right vehicle because they're using a, and I listened to it on YouTube, like a more more soft, uh, non-intrusive chime to help signify where the car is. Uh, and it helps people with being able to find the right car that they're looking for. Uh, there is also the um, ability that, that these cars will have the uh, near your car directions. So if you're near your car, it'll give you more audible feedback for getting to your car. And of course, with that sound, you can just home in on that sound to to get to your car. I don't know how they're going to handle it for like, if you're at a, a, a location with multiple Waymo cars and, you know, three cars are making a sound or, mm. or do you have to go in and set a preference? But it's interesting that they've given this some consideration uh, during this experiment. Yeah, it uh, it seems to be, you know, a pretty thoughtful way of doing things. A couple of the improvements that you mentioned, right? But I am curious about the intention behind it. Like with the the um, passenger name, like their initials on the rooftop, mm-hmm. 
Is that similarly to the second suggestion where it's just supposed to help you identify whether you're getting in the right car or not? That that's my understanding. Is okay. it is similar to that? So that that would help with being able to find which car belongs to or doesn't belong. Which car you're intended for? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Yeah, this would be really helpful in Ubers and other rideshare uh, application as well. So Definitely. some news was recently shared related to autonomous availability in rideshare ap- applications. Speaking of which, uh, for visitors to Las Vegas. So what's the latest on this? Yeah, so Lyft is partnering with Motiono, I think is how you pronounce that, which is a autonomous car service. And they have launched a new all-electronic, all-electric, fully autonomous taxi service in Las Vegas. And they say that as part of this experience, uh, individuals will have two safety drivers in the vehicle, but the safety drivers' uh, intention, well, the intention is for them not to have to interact with the car themselves. So you'll mm-hmm. be able to control the fully autonomous journey yourself by unlocking the doors with your Lyft app. Start the ride whenever you're ready to go, again, from the Lyft app or in-car display. But I think for accessibility from the Lyft app, it's going to be the better uh, ability. And then contacting remote agents if needed. And they are working on this over and they're working on a eventual fully autonomous service by 2023 in more than just Las Vegas, several other cities as well. So that intrigued me we're getting there i'm excited for it to happen i'm super excited i'm actually shocked that you said 2023 um, as their intended you know deadline because usually when you hear things like this you're like yeah 10 years from now oh 20 years from now but uh by next year and more than just las vegas that's super exciting To be fair, we have been hearing f- about it for about 10 years now You're right. uh, in the mainstream. So Time flies. <laughs> yeah, it does. Okay, let's get to some quick stuff. But I, I would love to keep talking about Waymo and um, autonomous vehicles and all this, but we got to keep going. Microsoft is releasing Markdown Language Server that makes Visual Studio Code's Markdown support available to other editors. First of all, what is Markdown? Markdown is a tool. It's it's a I guess the best way to describe it is it's a plain text way of formatting your documents. So instead of having to select text and write control alt two to remember that that's a heading level two, you just start the line with hashtag hashtag space and then the text. Mm-hmm. When the markdown then is processed, that hashtag hashtag is turned into a heading level two, either via rich text or HTML. So it's a great way to keep blind individuals who are formatting documents on a level playing field because as long as you know those codes, you don't have to worry about looking at the text to see, oh, that did apply the heading level to or, oh, I did link that properly. Yeah. Okay. In a couple seconds, why might a blind user want to use this? Yeah, so a blind user might want to use this again for the formatting ability so they don't have to worry about it. And the main reason that I am using Markdown is because it's so versatile. I can write up my blog posts in Markdown or convert it from rich text to Markdown and then put it wherever I want it because there's plenty of Markdown to whatever format you want. Converters available on the web and on Windows and Mac. Wicked. I love it. And we continue to make things accessible. Thank you so much, Michael. We'll chat with you next week. Have a great show, Romeo. Thank you. Unless, of course, Michael decides to take a long weekend as per my suggestion. What have we done? We're going to take a break. Coming back with sports. Brock Richardson is on that on Kelly and Company.
can't get over the autonomous vehicles. They're around. I know they're around already, okay? I know that there, there's some on streets, uh, Cali being obviously one of the, the biggest spots for testing, but, uh, you know, Arizona and just talked about Las Vegas and especially when it comes to rideshare. We know that they're they're coming, they're out, they're sort of there, but it still is awesome to hear the words 2023 because that's just around the corner. You know, before you know it, blink of an eye and autonomous vehicles are just something we do (laughs) something we use anyway lots of conversations like that one with michael babcock on kelly and company we're moving on to sports here on kelly and company i'm ramia amadin the host of the show let's bring on brock richardson of the neutral zone as a former athlete i eat sleep and breathe everything sports I'm Brock Richardson. Join me every Monday for your weekly sports highlights and our take on the weekend action. Brock, I know you're having some car troubles yourself, so it's pretty ironic that I took that thread to talk about right before bringing you on. I didn't plan it. Oh my goodness, it has been a crazy day. I uh, stayed over at somebody's house and they put my parking brake on. And then as we were driving home, we didn't realize the parking brake was on and there was like burning smell it was nuts so i'm oh sitting God. in a parking lot I'm gonna be excited to chat sports with you as always but it's just been a crazy day well we know you love us because you still made it to sports well we know you love sports so you still made it to sports yeah. <laughs> thanks for that uh huh that intro is entirely true eat sleep and breathe as i'm sitting in a parking exactly. lot i'm gonna talk sports with you so there you exactly. go exactly Nobody writes off Mondays here on Kelly and Company. You guys are super loyal. Let's uh, start with your leadoff item. So we kind of talked a little bit about changes to the neutral zone uh, at the end of the handoff last week, except something else is changing that was not yet mentioned on this program. And not only will I be talking sports on Kelly and Company on Mondays, but I will also be talking sports in the morning with uh, now with Dave Brown beginning next week. I will be taking over for Jeff Ryman as he's been in that role for quite some time now. But mm-hmm. yes, I will also be chatting sports with uh, now with Dave Brown uh, beginning next week and all through um, from September and beyond. So looking forward to that. But uh, lots of sports will be covered here with me on AMI Audio in addition to the video podcast. So very cool that's amazing yeah lots of great changes as we get into the the fall refresh of ami audio ami tv um and just even on our own shows right trying to tweak different things so congratulations on that and jeffy's not going anywhere right he's still kind of around doing everything else no we we can't get rid of jeff of course but uh, he'll be uh, still around and doing his thing but i will be taking over for sports on now with Dave brown beginning next week Lovely. Okay. Well, looking forward to hearing you on the show uh, on Now with Dave Brown more often. And now moving to other things, the World Junior uh, World Junior Hockey's wrapped up over the weekend. How did Canada do? Well, it was a very, very successful uh, weekend or 10 days for Canada, although it became with some stress on top of that. I don't think anyone expected the final to be Finland versus Canada. Uh, I think there was some, you know, thought that maybe Sweden would be in there, maybe the United States. Uh, 
Czechia, formerly known as Czech Republic. And don't ask me why they changed their name to Czechia. I have no idea. They tried to explain it on the on the broadcast, and it's just confusing. They went from Czech Republic to Czechia because they didn't want to be known as Republic anymore. It's okay. crazy what's going on in the sports world. But yes, Czechia upset uh, the United States, and then which meant that they were no longer in the tournament. And then uh, Sweden lost their uh, semifinal as well, which meant that it was Finland versus Canada. And let me tell you, it was an exciting game. It was 2 nothing for Canada headed into the third period. Canada had already beat Finland in the round robin. Great, all is well. Well, then they decided to tie it up, and we went into overtime. Well, overtime is three-on-three overtime. And what happened in overtime was they Finland had the puck on the goal line, inches away from scoring, and Craig McTavish batted it out of the air, and somehow it did not cross the goal line. Canada went back down and scored the winning goal, and they won the gold medal. Very, very tough on the heart. That is uh, stressful. If you are a Canadian, Canadian sports fan, I really thought that that puck could cross over the line, but they reviewed it, and no, it did not. And Canada won yet again. Canada has now won four World Junior Hockey Championships in this decade, so that's very, very cool. Uh, other two teams that were tied with three was uh, Sweden, uh, or not Sweden, sorry, United States and Finland. So Canada wins the decade with four championships. Wow. All right. Um, there's been adjustments in the suspension to Cleveland Browns quarterback, Dijon Watson. Can we move to this one and fill us in? Yes. So Deshaun Watson uh, was originally suspended. Uh, six games uh, for uh, violating the sexual assault code of conduct as some massage therapist came forward and said that he had done that. And it has now been moved up to 11 games. So this is, this is a better uh, suspension for sure. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit more detail. I I'm glad that it's over half the season, but in the end, I do think they missed the boat with the first initial six uh, game suspension. It should have been at least half of the season. So now we've, we've gone above that with the 11 games. I personally think when you violate this code of conduct, you should be up for the season. If it's been proven that he did uh, commit these wrongful code of conduct, then therefore you should be suspended for the entire season um, because it's not cool to be, um, sexually assaulting anybody. And I feel like, Ramia, we've been talking a lot about this um, uh, yeah. over the last little while with Hockey Canada and now football. And it's just, it's a sad place to be in sports. It is a sad place. I mean, unfortunately, these things happen everywhere. It's not just uh, isolating sports or isolating particular uh, type of sports as a thing. Um, but it's you know, uncomfortable to say the least uh, as a as a discussion point. Um, and then also there's the other side of it, which is that more and more of this is getting, uh, you know, press, it's getting the attention. And I'm hoping that means that more people are speaking up and more things are being done, like more justly, more fairly and just more openly. Um, so obviously you don't think that it's enough of a consequence, the 11 games or... Seven games or whatever. It no, was. I, I didn't. 
Okay. I didn't think it was enough of a, uh, of a suspension when they did the uh, six games. I think, as mentioned, it should have been at least uh, half the season, which I think mm-hmm. they have done that with now with the 11 games. They've, they've upped that. But as I've been thinking about it, it's like, no, if you, if you knowingly, and, I, and I, listen, the, the truth of the matter is athletes know what these code of conducts are. Athletes know where the lines are. If, sure. you, if, you, if you broke this, you deserve a, a deeper punishment. And again, he gets a $15 million fine, all well and good. I'm totally okay with that. But as an as a athlete, that's not a lot of money. For you and I, sure, that's a lot of money. It's money that I will never see in my lifetime, $15 million. But these athletes make buckets and buckets of money. And so to me, I just think it should be a full season plus the fine. Yeah, and the fine is just like a, a a bit of an icing on the cake. That's the worst analogy ever, but you know what I mean. It's just something to add on to uh, the the sore spot, but it's really not doing anybody anything. You know, when when people with money have to pay, okay you have to pay, but how else is it directly correlating to the situation? That's the part that we have to, you know, dissect and, and understand whether it's appropriate or not. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. I also Mm -hmm. also related to like for us, that would be like us paying a, you know, $1,500 fine. If you related to what the the landscape of, of what, you know, the scales are, in sports and everything else, that's like us paying a $1,500 fine. Again, if I was to pay a $1,500 fine, that's, that's a lot of money, but it's just, the scale seems a bit off. And and you're right. Although I agree, it's, it's, it's it's kind of a a different, a difficult analogy. It is kind of the topper to say, okay, look, we've done this. We've put, we've put $15 million on the table. And so that in addition to the 11 games is what we're able to do. Right. And, and, you know, in a in a broader perspective, I wonder if it's actually, you know, if this is going to cause if more and more stories like this keep coming out um, in situations, if the code of conducts need to be revi- revised themselves, because, you know, yeah. if people are like, this is just absolutely garbage, um, these consequences, and, and, then, you know. And this is the third or fourth time within the NFL alone. These kinds right, exactly. of things have t- taken place. So are we learning our lesson? I-, I wonder because this isn't the first time in this sport alone. Forget the rest of sports landscape in and of itself. But in NFL alone, this is the third or fourth time that I can think mm. of off the top of my head this has happened. So, Okay. Um, let's keep going. Moving to the Toronto Blue Jays. Give us an update on their weekend. Uh, yes, the Toronto Blue Jays had a very successful weekend. They uh, came off a tough series against the Baltimore Orioles before the weekend, uh, only winning one game, and then they turned around and beat the New York Yankees three out of four. I would have been happy with a split, so two games each team. Getting that third game is really helpful. What needs to happen now, Rami, is that we're going in against a team than the Boston Red Sox that are down in the standings that are not really in contention for a wild card spot. You need to take advantage of teams that you should be beating. If the Toronto Blue Jays want to be part of the wild card conversation, which they are currently, but if they want to continue to be that way, they need to beat the teams they should. And that's the struggle we've been having all season long. Baltimore has been getting better. As we've noted, 
but they should have got more than uh, one game in the previous series, and they were able to do that against New York. They just need to keep the train moving, moving forward. Right, and fingers crossed that they can do that. And you have an interesting stat moving to basketball related to LeBron James. Yes, so LeBron James has been in the league for 19 seasons, and he just got a contract extension with the LA Lakers that crosses him into the territory of $500 billion, with a B, dollars made in his career. Wow. That is amazing. That's a lot of money. And again, when we talk about $15 million with Deshaun Watson, when we start talking about athletes making $500 billion, that's a lot of money. LeBron James has earned it. LeBron James has done what he's done for 19-plus seasons. That's all well and good, but man, is that a lot of money. That is a lot of money. It's fun looking at it in that perspective too, right? Like, oh, this is great, and this is how he's done on the game, but also, cha-ching, <laughs> fantastic. And understand, understand too, that's just in basketball alone. Forget yeah, yeah. all of the, the, you know, the all other, the other branding stuff. Mm-hmm. The branding stuff. Like, this is just basketball contracts over 19 seasons. He's now hit the 500 billion dollar mark. Wow. That is a lot of money. And I go back when we talk about 15 million, when you've made 500 billion, that's not a lot of money to give oh. up on one fine. No kidding. Rocky, we won't have time to talk about uh, NBA offseason, but there has been a lot made of Kevin Durant wanting out of Brooklyn, even after signing the extension recently. Um, So we can put that on the table and find out whether we'll we'll know whether he's staying or going, because that's interesting. Thanks, Rocky. We'll see. Thank you. Mm-hmm, we will. That's Brock Richardson with our sports updates. Also on Mondays, he joins us around that time. After the break, we're checking in with our friends from AMI-tv. Grant Hardy is here to tell us what's coming up on tonight's episode of AMI This Week. We'll be back. So I haven't told you yet why I sound a little um, off, not congested, but you know, my voice, you might notice that it's doing something a little bit funny (laughs) that it wasn't doing on Friday or Thursday, whenever it was that I last hosted the show. But anyway, it's not because I'm not feeling well. It's not because I'm sick. None of that. No, it was just a real huge karaoke session on Saturday night, just completely threw my throat off (laughs) absolutely loved it though every moment every moment of karaoke is a lit moment but uh you know kelly knows kelly's not here today to vouch for this but um he's heard us at karaoke and we just go off there's no holding back we love karaoke around here i'm ramia amadid thanks for listening to us here on kelly and company and at this time we like to check in with our friends from AMI-TV. Um, specifically, we love to chat about what's coming up on tonight's episode of AMI This Week. So Grant Hardy, our reporter in Vancouver, is telling us about the Vancouver feature on Violet Peterson, who's a partially sighted um, artist. Grant, thanks for coming on. How are you? Hey, Rami. I'm great. How are you? Good. Do you enjoy karaoke? 
Actually, I do. I okay. love karaoke. And when I first moved into my uh, neighborhood, there was a nice karaoke place uh, just about halfway down the block from where I lived. And I used to love going there to rock out. Nice. A lot of fun karaoke. It is. Now, did you ever try out the, you know, rent a private room with your friends, that kind of karaoke? Or is it just open mic, everybody free for all? only ever open mic i've I've never uh, tried the other kind but one of these days one of these days and i'm telling you they get pretty bougie like these karaoke experiences (laughs) and you feel like a serious rock star going to some of these places (laughs) so uh, i encourage you yeah so going back to ami this week let's talk about violet peterson who are they and how did you connect with her yeah well i really like to highlight um local members of the community and this is somebody that i've known kind of through a friend of a friend and and followed on social media from uh calgary her name is uh her name is tanya she goes by her middle name violet peterson Mm -hmm. and uh she is a partially sighted artist who focuses primarily on uh landscape paintings and nature and sunsets and that's kind of where she gets her inspiration from and has always really loved um doing artistry um but i guess as she got older she kind of uh, got some interesting reactions from people a lot of people were impressed that she was doing this artistry with so little vision some people actually thought that you know she was uh faking it you know, Oosh. that it wasn't authentic. I, I know a lot of people, I mean, even, you know, someone like Stevie Wonder has encountered that, right? Sometimes people don't believe he's actually blind because he's yep. as good a singer as he is. Um, so she kind of, I know, is looking for some direction and kind of took up this art as a way to put herself out there, grow as a person, be an entrepreneur, um, and also share with the world uh, a little bit about what her life is like as a partially sighted artist. So uh, obviously, stating the obvious, there's a lot of room for advocacy in what she does, because like with everything you're pointing out, um, so many people still see it as so rare that people with disabilities are in the arts and showcasing their talents. And especially when you're, um, you know, putting in blindness and the spectrum of blindness with visual arts, people have a lot of questions, uh, let alone the the skepticism that you're, you're saying. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, at some point, this year, she's been accepted into two small art showcases in Calgary. I shouldn't actually say small, but two, two you know, two community-based art showcases in mm-hmm. Calgary. Um, and it really gave the opportunity to uh, bring her art there to display and sell it, but also to do things like bring, you know, her CCTV, you know, magnifier. Um, in order to do things like answer people's questions on like how do you actually create these paintings and how do you create your your digital artists as well um, and there's also a little bit uh, of a social media advocacy campaign uh, going on as well as part of her sort of brand where I really noticed she's posting a lot of 
you know, little stories, little anecdotes about like what her life is actually like, sort of those comedic experiences where, you know, you're, you're accidentally like talking to a coat hanger instead of, you know, another person, <laughs> um, but in a very lighthearted manner too. I, I, I sort of don't, don't always love when people take kind of an ad- adversarial or an angry line in the sand on this, but sure. in her case, I think it's done just, just very well, uh, very, um, like I say, sort of comically and, and lightheartedly and, and just trying to show that she is a very normal person with a unique set of challenges, uh, but still just a normal person and artist like anyone else. So this is part of the social media campaign. The, the comedic look on her uh, vision in life. Yeah, a combination of um, selling her art, uh, which you can get uh, selling her art, uh, but as well as uh, just show, uh, sharing blogs and videos and stories about her mm-hmm. life as a blind artist, which really transcends the spectrum between like, how do you make art and just sort of like, her entire existence you know how she yeah. how she gets around and all that stuff that we constantly get asked so it's an, know, another yeah yeah no i i just wanted to pipe in and say it, it's really fantastic first of all the the angle that she's taken and really embraced the educational side of it you know doing with the doing it with a smile on her face and saying yeah yeah i'm here to answer all your questions and let me uh, take my stuff to the gallery so you can actually see how i work all of these things um is brilliant but it is not everyone's approach right grant like we know of people who say leave my blindness or leave my disability out of this conversation, please. I am, you know, I I happen to have a disability, but it's not always part of the conversation or part of my process or um, just something I want to always talk about, share about. Um, Whereas with Violet, she's totally open to it and totally wanting to um, embrace that side of advocacy. For sure. Yeah. And I think both approaches are absolutely uh, valid. Like I said, the only thing I ever kind of, yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. The only thing I kind of ever have a problem with are, you know, a little bit of those sort of adversarial or or angry approaches as, as understandable as it might be for, for some people, it's just maybe not quite my cup of tea. Um, But I really do appreciate people who say, you know, let's just leave myself and my disability out of this. I mean, you get that also with, um, you know, people in our industry, right? Where people, we may be great at interviewing other people, but it comes to doing a little profile on us and we're like, wait a second here. (laughs) I didn't know this was on the agenda. Um, So, you know, I think that that is the case for a lot of people. But this is a relatively young uh, woman in her, well, very young woman in her her 20s and is just sort of getting started and looking to make her mark. And I I think this is a very interesting uh, approach for her and, and one that I think will benefit the community. And I think it could really help her, uh, you know, embrace her art. And, and I have not putting any words in Violet's mouth or, you know, assume, presuming anything about her process. But like a lot of us, when we want to 
take our out our art and share it with the world, um, there's sometimes a bit of hesitation, right? That that bit of like, I don't know if the world will love this or if people will love this as much as I do. And I don't know if I'm fully ready for this. And what happens when people start asking questions about my disability or I have to face the accessibility conversations about different things? Um, but, you know, this is like from the get go, you're saying this is who I am. And therefore, yeah. I'm okay with talking about it, which is super helpful on an internal, like, mental health level. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, just helpful on, uh, you know, one interesting level that I think I've noticed her her best friend that we've talked to is, has noticed this as well, um, that it's really brought this individual, Violet, out of her shell as well, in that um, she's... a fairly shy person i think just meeting and and talking with her um mm-hmm. but having to really be approachable and have other people approach her at art shows and start asking uh a mixture of, of questions about her art probably more outlandish questions about her you know her disability or curious questions and having to really like act as an ambassador and and be in front yeah. of the public like that plus on social media where i mean we know you know what what is there to say it's completely an un- uncensored window into the human mind the kinds of things that you'll get asked and comments that people will make um, i think that it has really been helpful in in taking her out of her shell and creating a more open personality for herself for sure and i'm sure just being on social period uh, and, and going out into art galleries at all will make that impact on you, right? Like you, you got to start um, taking in the the conversations and the people and the commentary and all of this stuff, the the critique, the reactions, the responses to your artwork, all of these things. Um, it's part of the package. I'll say, yeah, and yeah. Uh, that it's something that she seems to be really embracing with open arms. Something Amazing. that I think. You would be scary, but there you yeah. go. Well, this is cool. I'm really looking forward to um, experiencing this feature tonight on AMI this week. Where can we learn more, Grant? Yeah, watch our piece. Uh, you can check out her website, violetpetersonarch.com, or just Google her. I think it's the top result as well. And uh, you can follow her on social, uh, check out her art, and I believe she's got a lot of content on the website as well to check out. Lovely. Thank you so much, Grant. And we can check this out tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. You have a great week. Cool. You you as well. Thank you. On uh, Mondays, we check in with our friends from AMI-tv just before we kick off the second hour. And in that hour today, we're talking about Bonterra's floating art installation on Lake Ontario. And this is more than just an art piece. So I'm looking forward to that convo. Plus we have Danielle McLaughlin and her guest Lee Webb, director of client services from Sarah discussing uh, disability rights and accommodation later on, on know your rights. But after the break, let's talk a little bit about some articles making the headlines, um, including five very resilient crops. Jeff Ryman is going to join us for that after the break. There's nothing like the wonderful Smemi audio.
We are on to the second hour of Kelly and Company, and we're having a blast. It's a Monday, so we've already started taking notes, and there are lots more notes to come later on when we talk Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin. We'll get into some real interesting stuff about accommodations and uh, learn about an organization or an initiative that's doing very well at bringing these conversations to the forefront. So I am looking forward to that. Um, plus, our art installation talk will be fantastic. But right now, we're getting into a little bit of what's going on in the world, uh, just talking some headlines. And Jeff Ryman is here so that I don't have to talk to myself. Right, Jeffy? Thank you so much. Of course. I mean, it would have been kind of funny to listen to you talk to yourself for about yeah. 15 minutes. But, you know. Um, yeah. Nine minutes is tops. After nine minutes, we're just like, where is Jeff? Where is he? And this is where we'd usually have our community reporters in. So um, it is uh, one of the days we don't have a community report, which is why we're chatting. But Jeffy, should we start with you? What do you have? Ooh, I've got a, I've got a fun article. Um, okay. And it's from torontolife.com, but it has to do with the CNE. Uh, you can probably okay. guess where I'm going with this. Uh, it could be Food. food. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you a big fan of going to the CNE or any sort of exhibits like this? So on the morning show now with Dave Brown, we were talking about it for a couple minutes uh, because Grace Scottfield and uh, Mike Ross both went to the CNE like first day it opened over the weekend, nice. which in and of itself is a project, right? Going there on Saturday. But um, I'm iffy this year. I love the CNE and I know it's not been around for a couple of years. So people are totally yearning, uh, but I'm a bit iffy just because of how much I know that I'm going to have to spend when I go there. Things are really, really expensive this year. Uh, some of the food stuff does sound actually very good though. Like not just yeah. quirky, but good. There, there always seems to be like one year uh, where there's like just one food item that everybody just flocks down there to uh -huh. go try and you either love it or it's just a little bit too weird for you i'm i'm thinking of that 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 burger that was you know had the donuts i think it was called the cronut burger or something oh yeah uh, that's the one that comes to mind you know in the last like five ten years that people Pickled loved ice cream. yeah <laughs> yeah that was the next one uh and actually that is that is on this list still um surprisingly maybe i guess um people love pickles again one of those things where i think people either love it or hate it uh, mm -hmm. and if you're a big pickle person maybe you're enticed to go try pickle ice cream so uh, something that i <laughs> or the opposite i can get <laughs> it's like you yeah. love pickles so you don't want to try this and ruin <laughs> your impression sure. of pickles for sure for sure um, so like I said, this article was well, more of a list of, of weird, unusual, maybe good things to go try if you're a foodie and you want to get down to the uh, Canadian National Exhibition. So uh, on this list is uh, Black Halo Ice Cream's Pickle Split. Um, dill pickle flavored vanilla ice cream accompanied by dill pickle chips and an actual pickle. So this is like pickle ice cream on steroids. Like literally everything <laughs> about pickles is in this one thing. And it is pickle ice cream. Uh, Remya, I don't know about you. I think I'm going to pass I'm trying. On, I'm not on trying this, this one. No, yeah, I'll take the I, side of pickle and the dill pickle chips maybe. But I'm not even this much of a super fan of pickles. This is very new no. 
my my uh, taste testing of pickles is very new, so no. Yeah, uh, you know pickles are okay, but definitely not one of my favorite things. Mm-mm. Also on this list, uh, this one could be kind of fun: edibles, rainbow slime candy, um, and what? it is goopy candy. Um, and it's on a popsicle stick. Uh, they use it to mix the colors. Uh, kind of looks like an elementary school project when you used <laughs> to like paint and you had all the different colors in these little, um, I don't know, almost like a, you know, where you put your ketchup the, in. The tiny cups. McDonald's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, yeah, one of those tiny cups. Um, each color apparently tastes the same. Um, and apparently it's not good. Uh, early reviews say it tastes like uh, cough drops. <laughs> Um, so it looks fun to eat, but apparently, according to this article, um, maybe not so much. Uh, it doesn't. So hold up. Does this actually like, uh, is it soft? It's slime. It's like, you know, when you're in school and you make, yeah, it's, it's slimy. It's like goop. uh, And then then it tastes like cough drops. So hulls, right? Apparently. Lozenges? Yes. I don't think so. Yeah, I think I'm good with this one, too. That's a very strong flavor. I thought it would taste fruity, like, you know, Hubba Bubba or something. Yeah. Right? Like a bubble gum. Not Like, there, there, are, there are pictures with every one of these um, uh, food items in this article. And I'm telling you, it, it looks fun. It looks like you want to yeah, eat yeah. it. But, yeah, sometimes it, oh, that's the worst. it's too good to be true. Yeah, I was going to say, know. that's even more disappointing than, you know, just passing on pickled ice cream. Yes. So I'm going to say no to this one as well. Same. Um, I might be down for this though. It's uh cafe twos spice cream, not ice cream, spice cream, um, sugar, spice, and everything. Nice. Mainly the first two. Um, it is ice cream, um, drizzled with sweet hot chili sauce and topped <laughs> with a hot pepper. And you can also get other flavors. They have strawberry, vanilla, pistachio, and chocolate. So you can get some really fancy ice creams as well. But it's basically hot pepper ice cream. Um, I feel like I'm kind of intrigued. The reason being is I think that it could be like spicy, but also. Um, cool to the mouth because you typically don't have spice cream. So I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm kind the, of, I'm, I want to try this. You want to try it? I know you're a hot sauce person in general <laughs> anyway. So I feel like this would be probably something you try anyway. But listen, the thing that's turning me off about all these different things so far is the ice cream part of it. We know about the ketchup yeah. ice cream, right? That one's making serious yeah. trends. But like, why ice cream? Why can't we drizzle it on a pancake or something? Like still something out of the ordinary, but not ice cream. For some reason, I feel like ice cream, if we try it because we're like, okay, maybe it'll be all right. And then we hate it. I will not be able to finish this ice cream. I'm telling you, this is going to be $10 or more. Do we have the prices on there? No. Fine. Let's no. just assume it's 10 bucks, okay, for the spice cream. And then you try a bite and you're like, no, oh God, my stomach. <laughs> you didn't just toss away the rest of your ice cream. Uh, brutal. Yeah, yeah. There was also like if it like was anything mentioned. else, you could kind of wipe it off, or I don't know, just uh, mantle I'll, I'll it. Get, yeah, 
You could. I'll, I'll get to one more on this list before we can get to your article, Rum. Sure. Um, there was the there was the ketchup and mustard ice cream. Eh, I love Ugh, love no, love mustard. Uh, don't know if I could do it, but uh, cookie butter fries um, is kind of how you think it is. It's kind of like a sweet and savory dish. Um, has fries, and then on top of those fries are caramel and cinnamon sugar. Um, you can get cookies. Uh, you can get them crumbled, or you can actually get them whole on top of your fries. Bro, so it's kind of like delicious. a weird variation on French fries, but done with you know sweetness on it. So that I sounds mean, so this, proper. It does kind of. If you go to the CNE, please try that. <laughs> try that and yes. let me know. That sounds yes. good. I mean, it, it reminds me of dessert pizza, right? Like kind of. the pizza crust is what it is, and then you just put your favorite toppings on it. That's sweet, yeah, not savory. Nice. Okay, well. I guess one out of five or whatever it was is not bad. <laughs> They're usually like, I feel like it's sometimes it's just over the top and people just go yeah. and try it for the sake of trying it. Like it's yeah. not, sometimes I, I feel like they're not meant to be added tasting. <laughs> kind of no, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, Jeffy, we're not going to get to all of um, these five crops that I wanted to talk about, but I will give you some insight because I think it's a great conversation to begin with. Uh, so the diet for a hotter clim- climate, this is the um, title of the article, five plants that could help feed the world. And it's from the guardian. Um, so basically this is a list and explanation and history of five drought tolerant and highly nutritious crops that is beyond rice, wheat, and corn that farmers across the world are now growing in hopes of feeding the planet as it warms. So we know there's drought in many places. We're experiencing wildfires. We're experiencing just warmer temperatures. Uh, ice is melting, like all these different things going on that we know the planet is getting warmer. So let's think about these things. Uh, the first one is amaranth. And this is, the, they say, the plant that survived colonization. Indigenous farmers have uh, grown this plant for many, many years. Uh, it's a drought resistance crop and it's resurging uh, around the world in different places. You can eat the entire thing. The whole thing is edible from leaf to seed. Wow. I know that first of all, is impressive. Uh, and then the ways that people are doing this is sauteing the leaves and putting it into some stir fry. The seed is toasted and then commonly eat with uh, eaten with honey or milk. And it has all nine essential amino acids and it's a good source of uh, vitamins and antioxidants. So I'm going to pause there and just let you comment and say, you know, would you be yeah. interested in just picking up something like this? Like you have no idea what it is, but you know it's good for the planet. You know it's uh, healthy. Would you just try it? Are you a take yeah. home a new vegetable or grain type of yeah. person? No, absolutely. Um, if it's healthy for me, I I think that really entices me. If it's really good for the environment, I mean, that's uh, you know a double whammy right there of, of positivity. And it sounds like you can sort of cook this up almost in any way you kind of want. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, why wouldn't you? So for sure, this is definitely intriguing. Yeah, and they on this list, they also had phonio and cow peas and taro. Uh, taro is one we've heard about, but maybe not in the context that you'll hear about it in this article. Highly suggest you check it out because it's a fascinating read. Maybe we'll get time to talk more about it uh, throughout the week. Thanks, Jeffy. Appreciate it so much. No worries. See you later, Rum. 
Jeff Ryman, one of the producers on Kelly and Company, joining me to chat a little bit. And after the break, we're continuing the chat this time about an art installation that floats and is good for the environment. We'll be right back on Kelly and Company. Welcome back. This is Kelly and Company on AMI-audio, and I'm your host, Ramia Amuthan. Remember that you can check out a lot of content from AMI, both TV and audio, on demand. Uh, For example, you can listen to audio content on your favorite podcasting platform by searching for the name of the show that you're looking for, whether it be Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Spotify or any of the other wonderful and accessible podcasting platforms that you prefer. And download, subscribe, share the podcasts. You can do that with Kelly and Company. And we're available in segment format as well as full show form, which reminds me, our full show forms have an audio vanity card at the end of it. No, this is not a self-reminder. Please. At least you'll never know. Um, But also, for TV content on demand, you can check out the AMI app that you can also download on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. And in this, you can find all our AMI-TV content available with described video and with closed captioning. uh, Just a wonderful array to choose from over there. And great content being uploaded all the time. Uh, because we have new seasons, new series coming out. We'll give you more information on that. But in general, the AMI-TV app is perfect for your perusal. Don't forget as well, our video podcasts are going out. They're trickling out on our YouTube channel. So check it out. Search for Accessible Media Inc. And you can find a load of those. Now let's get into some fun art talk. We had some of this already, but I'm looking forward to this one. Bonterra has announced the unveiling of its new show-stopping floating art installation on Lake Ontario. And its goal is to help promote biodiversity and create a diverse wildlife habitat for plants. And we're going to learn more about this very unique initiative with Susan Irving, CMO at Kruger Kruger Products. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show, Susan. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having us. I'm really looking forward to this chat, and it sounds fantastic. A load of information on this project um, just from the intro, but let's get to know Bonterra and uh, what you guys do. Like, what is what is this um, project at Kruger Projects that that's got into this big thing? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm sure it's been a you know a bit of a surprise and delight for people that have gone down to the Harborfront Center to see the sign uh, for a better planet. Uh, and we're better together. Um, we are a new brand, uh, a new Canadian brand um, that's really focused on innovation and um, and sustainability. And we're a responsibly sourced um, bathroom tissue, or some other people call it toilet paper, paper towel, and facial tissue brand. And we're uh, made of 100% recycled paper. Um, it's plastic-free packaging. It's carbon neutral. We've got a, a partnership with Four Ocean as well, as well as One Tree Planted, and we're made in Canada. Wow. Okay, that is amazing. Um, that initiative is fantastic. So how does this relate back to 
the floating art installation on Lake Ontario, as you said, a harborfront. Yeah, so the whole idea behind it, I mean, we just launched the brand um, in February. Uh, and when it comes to sustainability, you know, it's all about those little steps. Some people don't know where to start. You know, do I need to buy uh, do I need to buy an electric car? What can I do? And, and and it's all overwhelming. And we're all about those, you know, those little steps of what you can do um, to make the environment better. And mm-hmm. so the art installation is is all about kind of driving a little bit of, of intrigue and driving awareness of the brand and just really, you know, a talking point that encourages Canadians to think about the ways in which we can all work together to make a difference um, for the planet, um, be it our small and, and daily choices. Um, and really letting, you know, Canadians know about the Bonterra brand and our products um, and that, you know, purchasing these little sustainable products in our daily daily lives can make a difference. Um, and, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen the sign and what it looks like. Um, it's an installation that's a floating sign on Lake Ontario that was developed by us. And it spells at the sentence for a better planet in large green lettering made out of recycled materials. Um, and the words are placed on floating islands, which are covered in a selection of flowers and plants and grass. Wow. And what are the words again? For a better planet. For a better planet. Okay, that's incredible. I was going to ask for a description. Um, anyway, sorry, you were about to say. Yeah, so for a better planet, um, the, you know, Bonterra, it's bilingual. Um, and we wanted to drive kind of intrigue and just think about the word Bon Terra. Bon means good and Terra is is Earth. So it's all about, you know, good Earth, which is yeah. for a better planet. Absolutely. So I'm curious, um, what made the decision of an art installation? You know, this is fantastic and it's opening up the conversations and prime location, if you ask me. Uh, but, you know, how did you guys come to the decision of doing it this way? What helps it? Yeah, you know, a great question. Um, I think, you know, now that uh, COVID is, is sort of behind us, if you will, and people are out at, out and about uh, in Harbor Center are, you know, great partners and there's a lot of people out and about this summer. We wanted a place where, you know, lots of people and we could drive some intrigue. Um, but the whole part of, of the art was it's not just art, but it's, it's actually biodiversity. Um, mm-hmm. Our signage helps helps to improve biodiversity and creates diverse wildlife habitats. So we wanted to showcase our message in the most sustainably focused and creative way possible, all while showing Canadians that by working together, we can affect big, big change by doing little things. Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, experiencing the art installation alone, it's sparks that in our minds, right? Oh yeah, let's let's think about this. Let's talk about this. Or what is that and how is it helping um, the planet, you know, by floating uh, around on Lake Ontario? And it, the logistic must, um, the logistics of putting together this art installation um, must have been a very incredible discussion. Can you talk a little bit about that? Just the... Yeah, it was already... Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It was our agency, North Strategic, and our PR agency that came up with the idea. Um, and they've been working with, you know, different companies to come up with it. Um, so, you know, lots of work behind the scenes um, on how to install a floating art installation to life since, um, since we came up with the idea in February. And Harborfront has just been uh, amazing to help us share our message. Um, 
you know, we wanted to make sure that we uh, incorporated a variety of species and pollinators that are native to Ontario to foster the most biodynamic ecosystem possible. So mm. the sign was constructed with actually expert gardeners and nurseries to ensure the integrity of the process and support the intent of building a biodynamic island here in, here in Toronto. Wow. So not only is the the installation itself, um, you know, really promoting that good earth vibe, but also the amount of people involved in putting it together um, really speaks to that collaboration on a micro level, right? That's so fantastic. And how about the the actual supervision or um, maintenance, if you will, needed to, to keep this afloat? Yeah, so our teams are down there every day. I mean, there's birds and bees and people on it all the time. So they're really yeah. checking just to make sure, you know, everything is, is sound and working with Harbor Front Center as well. It will be there um, until September 5th. And there's a big signage there so people can, you know, take a picture in front of it and share on Instagram. Um, but, you know, you know, lots of people just making sure that, you know, the plants are safe and it's doing what it needs to do from, a, from an ecosystem perspective. So cool. And how about the the way that we experience it? If um, you or I were hanging out around uh, the harbor front, you know, is it is it strictly a visual experience? Is there anything else we can um, do to really get the whole uh, understanding of what this is? Yeah, great question. So obviously, if you're in Toronto and you can you can visit Harbor Front Center, you'll have the full experience. Otherwise, you can visit online at livebonterra.com. Again, livebonterra.com. Or you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at livebonterra. Um, and there's tons of visuals there. Um, we're getting a ton of PR pickup. There's lots of influencers that are talking about it. So hopefully you'll see it. Um, but if you're looking for more information, again, it's livebonterra.com. Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at livebonterra. And Susan, when you're talking about the full experience in person, uh, what does that encompass? Can we actually touch some of the things, the elements of the art installation? Can we get up really close to it? How does that work? Yeah, a great question. Um, so you can't uh, get onto the sign, but the sign is very close to the harbor front center, like mm-hmm. to the waterfront in terms of um, the dock at the front. So you can read it, you can take a picture with it. Um, there's a sign that explains what Bonterra is and what it's about. Um, and then there's there's a certain place where you can actually stand for a perfect picture of you and the visual behind <laughs> that you can share on Instagram uh, if you choose to do so. Amazing. And for anyone with um, different access needs, I'm hoping that people from your team will be there to kind of assist and answer any questions and just give people more context of what exactly is happening. Yeah, absolutely. And the other place where you can go, we're sold nationally across retailers across Canada. Um, So pick up a pack and there's more information on the back of pack about what we're all about. Fantastic. So what um, is next? You know, like how long is this installation going to be where it is now? And um, will we know what happens to it afterwards? Is it is it here to stay? Uh, great question. It is here to stay. Um, there, we're just working on the final details, but uh, we will share more to come. But it will be installed uh, somewhere else permanently once we pull it out of the water. So more to come. Okay, awesome. Well, looking forward to that information as well. And, you know, I just um, 
love this. Uh, we had the the Luminato Festival uh, 2022 over the summer here in Toronto. And uh, in that festival as well, there were so many different angles and conversations on just thinking about the planet, um, thinking about our connection, our personal connections to the planet, but our, also our connections with each other. And all of these different art installations, I had an incredible opportunity to speak to a lot of the the designers and creators. Um, there was always something, something that brought the question and conversation back to the environment, the planet, um, the the climate uh, you know, diverse biodiversity, um, our in, indigenous peoples in Canada and their customs and um, practices that bring the conversation again back to these things. And so when when this uh, project came up and we were going to talk about it on Kelly and Company, I just got very excited uh, because, you know, we want to bring people into these discussions in all sorts of ways, right? Sometimes we're resistant to one thing or another, but when it comes to art, people are genuinely more curious. So I think this is a wonderful approach to get people talking, um, asking questions, and just in general, engaging with what it is that you're trying to put out, the messaging. And I love, love, love what you're saying right now. Like everything you just said is is so... um, purposeful and important uh, in today's society. And I think with art, right, you know, it's, it's not just about talking about things, but by putting something purposeful out there or a piece of art or something of intrigue, it does help people talk about the things that we need to do to move, you know, to move our, our country and, and to move things forward. Um, and so, you know, I, I love that you notice that and the, and the fact that you know, to drive a conversation, sometimes you do need art or to think about doing things differently yep. so that we can actually spoke um, the right conversations for change. For sure. And, and it's what you said way at the beginning of this when you were talking about our bathroom tissue, like, and, and you know, what should I get an electric car or not? It's these little questions that we need to consider, uh, but not just consider in terms of, oh, yeah, are we questioning these things? But also, what's the next step? Right. Where do we go from here? And this, the, the product itself is a change that we can make in our everyday lives starting today, um, knowing that it's making a, a positive impact on the environment. Susan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate this conversation with you. Well, thanks. Thanks for having us. And, uh, you know, just like exercise or changing some little regime, right? It's yeah. hard to start, but it's it's really those little tiny things that matter. So just as long as everyone's just making a little small change and we're working together, mm-hmm. uh, we can really make this a better planet. I totally, totally agree. Appreciate you and have a great week. Thank you so much. Thanks. You too. Susan Irving is the CMO at Kruger Products, and we're talking about the new floating art installation on Lake Ontario. Check it out at Harborfront right now. It's called Bonterra. After the break, we have Know Your Rights with Daniel McLaughlin and her special guest, Lee Webb. We'll be back.
Monday to Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That's when you can check out Kelly and Company live, as you're doing now, I hope. And then at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, if you missed anything, we have our repeat of the day. Uh, that's also Monday to Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern, the repeat of Kelly and Company. In case you want to check something out or, you know, drag someone else to listen to the show because we talked about some awesome stuff, as we always do. Speaking of which, let's talk Know Your Rights. This is another Monday conversation uh, on our radar with Danielle McLaughlin. Let's examine questions that can't be answered by a simple yes or no. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, when we talk about how freedoms collide on Know Your Rights. Danielle, uh, we sometimes have some offline conversations that lead to incredible subjects to be discussed on Know Your Rights. And today is a great example of that. Um, as you bring on a guest, can you give us some context? Yes, absolutely. Uh, last week, Ramya Kelly drew my attention to a news report about a landlord who was having difficulty evicting some undesirable tenants. However, in general, landlords have a lot more power and resources than tenants have. Today, we have a guest with us who will help us explore some of the issues that disabled people face in accommodation. Lee Webb is a lawyer and the Director of Client Services with CIRA, the Center for Equality Rights in Accommodation. And welcome to Kelly and Company, Lee. Thank you very much, Danielle. So glad you could join us. Can we start out just simply by asking you, what is CIRA and what does it do? Yeah, so the Center for Equality Rights in Accommodation is Canada's leading nonprofit organization working to advance the right to housing. And we've been doing this for the last 35 years. And we do this in a number of ways, including uh, providing services to renters to help them stay housed, providing education and training about housing rights, and advancing rights-based housing policy through research, policy development, advocacy, and litigation. Well, that's very important because I, I know, having been a renter for most of my life, that um, there's a lot renters don't know that uh, even that they have rights. Um, I know that there are people who feel that they've been discriminated against in housing because of their disabilities specifically. What can these people do? Uh, if they feel like they've been uh, discriminated against. So every province and territory has human rights laws that protect people from mistreatment based on their unchangeable characteristics, like the color of their skin or whether they have a disability. And this can include things like being harassed based on that characteristic, but it can also include whether there's a rule or some part of a building that is keeping a tenant from enjoying their rights as a tenant, or indeed a condo owner keeping being kept from enjoying uh, their rights and responsibilities in the condo. For example, uh, sometimes the landlord will, will just issue notices in paper in, small, uh, in a small font, or maybe there's an uneven path or a step that makes it difficult for someone with an assistive device to travel over. So if one of your listeners is being discriminated against because of a disability, there are several things that they can do. Um, it's always good idea, a good idea to keep records of what's happening, and this could be like a journal or taking photos of something or audio or video recordings of, of what's going on. Uh, it would be a good idea to write to your landlord about the problems you're facing and ask for help to make a change. This could involve speaking with another tenant uh, that's harassing you um, or having the landlord change something about the rental uh, unit that's causing rental unit or, or complex that's causing a barrier. 
in some cases, maybe mediation is a good idea and where both sides can talk about their interests and how to resolve them. But, you know, that isn't going to work in, in all cases. But in any event, if the landlord is willing to help, then the process kind of is a two-way street and tenants should work with the reasonable requests of their landlords to make an accommodation work or to address a situation of harassment. But ultimately, the landlord does have this responsibility to make sure that the home uh, is and the rental complex are accessible and a safe place for people to live. And so then the tenant can normally, uh, depending on the province, file a complaint with their provincial uh, human rights commission or tribunal. That's really important for people to understand. Now, you know, some of our listeners, um, instead of being tenants, happen to be landlords. Um, And we all know of stories where a landlord has a tenant who is really terrible to have in, in, in the building. How can landlords legally remove tenants that they no longer want to have in their uh, housing accommodations? So first, I'd like to preface this by saying that the Center for Equality Rights and Accommodation, uh, we endorse a right to housing, which the Canadian government has committed to advancing in Canada. And it would mean that everybody in Canada should have affordable, adequate and accessible housing and that they shouldn't be evicted into homelessness uh, and should be able to live with dignity and safety, no matter their ability or, or who they are. Um, and then in terms of, of, you know, your question about the, the eviction process, it differs a lot from province to province. And I can really only speak about uh, what's happening in Ontario. But it's important to know that evictions can only be carried out by a court enforcement officer or also known as the sheriff. And that, has, that eviction has to be authorized by the landlord and tenant board. So for that to happen, first, the landlord has to give a tenant notice to end their tenancy. And for some evictions, the tenant may be able to avoid the eviction by addressing the landlord's complaints, like for unpaid rent or if something's gotten damaged. Otherwise, and, and if the, or if the tenant isn't able to address the complaint or the concern, then the process is that the landlord has to file an application with the landlord and tenant board. The board then holds a hearing, which both the landlord and the tenant need to be notified of, and both get a chance to plead their case. Uh, if the landlord is successful and the eviction order is made uh, by the board, uh, then the pro- that is enforced by the sheriff. However, this is a process that can take anywhere from uh, two months and uh, depending on delays at the landlord and tenant board can be over half a year if, if uh, things are, are slow. I've heard recently um, in the media that the uh, landlord-tenant tribunals are backlogged up to two years at this point, um, which can make things pretty dicey, both for tenants and for landlords, I would imagine. Um, is, I guess my, my question about that is, does either party need to have a lawyer when they go before the landlord-tenant board? Uh, neither party absolutely needs to have a, a lawyer. The landlord-tenant board is designed to be much more user-friendly than superior court and kind of the, the criminal court process that we, we see on television shows, for example. Um, yes. But studies have shown that both uh, that parties that are represented do tend to fare better. And, and that's, we see that particularly with tenants who, who um, very few of them end up being represented, but their outcomes end up being much better when, when they are represented. 
I guess that's true with all tribunals and, and court levels. It's, you know, they say that if you represent yourself, you may have a fool <laughs> for a lawyer. So, yeah, yeah I, I've, I think I've that, heard that's, that one. Yes, always advisable, I, I think. Um, can you give us some examples of cases where uh, the Center for Equality Rights and Accommodation has represented disabled people in a dispute about their rights in accommodation? Sure. Now, uh, a lot of our work uh, doesn't make it to to a court or a tribunal, and we just negotiate uh, or or speak with a landlord on a tenant's behalf. And so, um, one of my cases, one of my examples is about that. So, most of the cases we receive relate to accommodation. A recent case that we had has involved a woman who had kept give her, uh, a woman with a a visual disability, a visual impairment who kept receiving notices on paper, even though she would ask her superintendent for them to be sent electronically. Uh, and so this was going on for some months, and then she came to CIRA, and we wrote to the landlord on her behalf and got the manager to uh, commit to sending documents electronically in a format that was going to be readable for this person. Now we're working with the, the person to ensure that their landlord lives up to their word on that, uh, and, and we've given them some uh, uh, information about the process in case the landlord doesn't live up to their word, which is to uh, file an application at the Human Rights Tribunal. Um, in another case, uh, I represented a man, this was before my time at CIRA, but very similar to work that CIRA uh, gets involved with uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. I represented a man with psychosis who had received an eviction notice uh, on account of his threatening behavior. He was, you know, gruff and, and being uh, very hostile towards the neighbors. So I was able to help in two ways. First, the landlord had made some mistakes on his eviction notice, which in Ontario meant that the t tenant couldn't be evicted based on that notice because it, it deemed to be like a, a unfair, a procedurally unfair. But I also was able to point out to the landlord, based on the landlord's own evidence, that my client's aggressive behavior only ever really happened when his neighbors made comments to him about his mental health, calling him crazy or, or whatever, and then he'd lash out. Uh, the landlord hadn't uh, taken that into account, but after I'd pointed that out to him, uh, the, the threats of eviction had stopped and, and I guess they found a way to, to work things out in a better, uh, in a better way. So that's real human to human, uh, uh, way of working, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, by spending a little time with somebody, you find out some details that you can use to make peace. I, I think that that sounds like a a really positive outcome for for that particular case. And the, the case of, of the woman who was just receiving notifications on paper, you, you'd think you wouldn't have to ask more than once, but um, I guess uh, that, that's pretty, you know, not uncommon. The, the no, it's it's not uncommon. You know, it, it, it's, it's not in every case. We, we certainly have cases where um, we're able to, on, on the kind of first instance, we're able to resolve someone's problem, but uh, either due to the processes that landlords have or, you know, their perception of how much something might cost, uh, it does happen that we do have to get involved and, and send letters and, and just ensure that uh, everybody's kind of aware of the Human Rights Code and its requirements on, on both landlords and tenants. Very important information. You know, I have to say, I, it makes me chuckle to, to learn that the sheriff is the person who, um, you know, completes evictions, because I don't think many people know that there's such a thing as a sheriff these days. You know, you know, you think of 
the sheriff of Nottingham or, or in Westerns, <laughs> but, but not so much a, a sheriff, you know, who's in, in an urban area, for example, or, or who actually has a specific job. Just is, is this all that the sheriff does is evictions or are there other other jobs that are, that are relegated to the sheriff? Uh, I'm not a, an expert on this, but my understanding is, is basically the sheriff, their other title is the court enforcement officer. So any enforcement things that a court would order, like uh, of a writ or of a garnishment, um, the sheriff's office would be involved in that in some capacity. Okay. Well, that's, that certainly is interesting to, to, to know. I, I, you know, I have this vision of the, the sheriff with, with that, you know, five-pointed star on their chest, <laughs> but it's probably not quite that, that bad. Um, you, you've mentioned that, that Sarah has been around uh, for more than 30 years, uh, which is very impressive. Um, has your organization ever gone to the Supreme Court over cases, or have you ever uh, um, intervened in court cases at, at, uh, at, at uh, higher levels? We have. Uh, we've been involved in cases that have gone to the Court of Appeal of Ant- in Ontario related to the uh, y- the use of information to assess whether or not someone should be uh, able to rent an apartment. Sometimes uh, landlords will apply what's known as an income to rent ratio. And we were involved in, in a case that uh, ended up saying that using that ratio in a way that was... Uh, um, using that ratio could be a discriminatory practice in certain cases because it doesn't take into effect, into account all the other resources that someone who may be on social assistance has to ensure that they can still pay their rent. So uh, that that's something that we're quite proud of at Sierra. So being on social assistance is not a reason to deny somebody housing if you're a landlord. Is that correct? That's exactly correct. In fact, being on social assistance or, or public assistance of any kind is a protected ground related to housing under the Ontario Human Rights Code. And so, um, and, and we hear about these cases, you know, frequently where a tenant will call us up and say, as soon as my landlord or potential landlord heard that I was on ODSP, they said that they weren't going to rent to me. But that type of a practice isn't lawful in Ontario. Uh, really, the question is, is the person a good risk? Uh, and so landlords are allowed to look at credit history and uh, kind of rental references. And if they've asked for that, they can ask for some income information, but they have to apply all of that information uh, that they get in a non-discriminatory way. Very important uh, case that you've taken, and that's really good information for all of our listeners. Uh, you know, at, we have many people who need that sort of information and we don't always have access to it. Thank you so much, Lee. I really appreciate your joining us this afternoon. You're very welcome. And uh, in case anybody has more uh, interest in this topic, um, they can check out our website, equalityrights.org, or the website of uh, the Community Legal Education Ontario, which is stepstojustice.ca. And we just want to make sure that listeners understand that they should speak to their communities and representatives about the right to housing and advancing it and learn about their rights in advance of a problem so that they know where to turn if, if they do run into trouble. Very helpful information. Thank you.
That was my guest, Lee Webb, Director of Client Services from CIRA, the Centre for Equality Rights in Accommodation, talking with us today about disability rights in accommodation. Thanks, uh, Danielle. Thank you so much for this conversation. Appreciate it always. On Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin, you can join us on Mondays for this conversation. We're taking a break, wrapping up our show, finding out what's coming up on tomorrow's edition of Now with Dave Brown, and I'll give you a preview of tomorrow's Kelly and Company episode as well. We'll be right back. This is Kelly and Company. We're just about at the end of the show, wrapping up things and, of course, giving you a heads up on what's coming up on tomorrow's show. But let's talk about some highlights from today's episode that you can check on your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, We had some tremendous insight from our friend uh, Susan talking about Bonterra and what they're doing as an art installation on Lake Ontario Uh, to help promote biodiversity and to talk about the uniqueness of the brand and how eco-friendly the materials are and the repurposing of uh, the materials or recycled materials to make our bathroom tissue and toilet paper, but also just what it means to have something like this in terms of opening up conversations, really the steps that we're taking, or are we even taking these steps in our own personal lives and day-to-day influences to make the world a bit better to collaborate a little bit more on the in uh, you know bettering the environment and helping the environment and what that could look like so it was a fabulous conversation of art as well as just um, environment awareness uh, check that out on our podcast platform and we talked earlier with grant hardy on tonight's episode of ami this week at 8 p.m eastern time on ami tv and this one will feature violet uh, who is a personally cited artist from vancouver um, and the conversation really that we had was about what it means to bring your disability up in your art and to make that the forefront of the conversation or at least let people in on how your disability plays a role in the art that you make. And it's not everybody's choice of doing it. Definitely not. We've had many conversations about people who uh, prefer not to talk about disability at the forefront and uh, really identify as themselves as an artist first. Um, But the the unique approach that Violet is taking, especially with her art, um, her visual art, is pretty awesome. Um, the social media campaign and bringing her CCTV and her equipment and just the, the support system around her vision uh, to the actual art galleries where she's selling her art um, and opening up the conversation in a fun, lighthearted way, as Grant put it. We talked about it to preview tonight's episode and then you can check out more on the episode tonight at AMI or on AMI TV at 8 p.m. Eastern. Now let's find out what's coming up on tomorrow's edition of Now with Dave Brown, 9 a.m. Eastern time with your host Dave Brown and Paul Daniel is one of the producers. He's here to give us a bit of a preview of the episode. Hello, Paul. Hello, Ramya. How are you doing? 
I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, not as good as you, of course, but I, that's a goal <laughs> I have, though. On tomorrow's show, <laughs> North Lake Not in our community reporter in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, will give us details about the upcoming War of 1812 rendezvous in the Sioux with rec- recreations of, event, of uh, military events and commemorations of, the, of that pivotal pivotal point in history. Nelson Regal from Cool Blind Tech will tell us how to do a forced reset with your iPhone. And we'll have our Tuesday news quiz. It'll be our last news quiz with uh, Mark Phoenix, who's moving on to bigger and better things. So this will be a, both a, a bittersweet uh, contest either way. But uh, nevertheless, yes. a fond farewell. Yeah, absolutely. Mark is uh, keeping us posted on his journey, so I'm hoping he shares some of that with you guys. But uh, the news quiz is always a hoot and gets pretty rough. What do we say Oh, they're again? vicious. Yeah. Heads will roll. Heads will roll. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. Appreciate the preview. Talk to you tomorrow. Uh, That's 9 a.m. Eastern time for Now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Check them out. Always fun conversations. That hard reset for iPhones really comes in clutch, too. So we'll learn how to do that tomorrow. On tomorrow's edition of Kelly and Company, starting at 2 p.m. Eastern, we have wellness contributor Frances Wong joining us. She's giving us a Cannabis 101, giving us the information around the use of cannabis, why it's used, how it's used properly, uh, and you know, the, just the popularization of it in general. We're also talking about the Ashkenaz Festival. It's one of the biggest festivals, um, showcases of Jewish music and culture anywhere in the world. So we're going to talk more about that tomorrow. Plus, Lucia Belafonte is joining us for our monthly parenting segment, and she is talking organizational skills. Very important for people, especially children with disabilities, to get going uh, from a very young age, and it helps you foster that independence. So she'll give us more information on that. We also have a top 10 list of what you should do to make sure your puppies are being raised well to be good canine citizens. That's with Danielle Jeankind on our Ask of It. We'll find out more when you join us at 2 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow. Until then, have a great rest of your Monday and we'll be back. I'm Ramia Amuddin. I didn't get to share this on air, so I'll share it on the audio vanity card. I got soaked, soaked through on my walk this morning. When I left the house, I asked Google what the weather was like outside, and Google said, "Mm, something about rain, but, you know, who's really paying attention? So anyway, I didn't take any of that seriously and went out for a walk. So the first quarter of the walk, it was dry, dry, dry. And that quarter of the walk is really just residential neighborhoods for me. Get down into the valley, and the remaining three quarters of the walk like close to the next 80% of the walk is all, you know, five kilometers of trails. But I was already in, I was already in the valley. It was already committed. And then it starts raining. Absolutely no way to turn back. I mean, I could have turned back, but why would I do that? Because I'm thinking, oh no, it's going to stop raining. It's not going to pour. And, you know, within a minute of me continuing on, it absolutely started to pour and it did not stop the entire way. And I mean, I think it was still raining by the time I got home, but at that point it was just a moot point. It was soaked to the bone and so was Glizzy. (laughs) We were not extremely happy with that, but it was fun. 
last night I, I, I was scrolling through TikTok and saw a video about experiences and how experiences are the ways, uh, are the things that make you happy, the things that bring you joy, not the price tags, right? So I'm sure this TikTok creator was talking absolutely about the two-hour soaked 6K walk that I was going to take this morning, 100%. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.